This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. Parshat Balak is a difficult parsha, And what is specifically difficult about this parsha, despite the colourful descriptions of talking donkeys and the amazing situation in which uh, Bilam is unable to utter a curse against the Israelites, instead always producing blessings. It's rather comical somewhat. But what is difficult about this parsha is to assess the character of the main protagonist himself, of Bilam. When we first look at Bilam, we gain the sense that he is indeed a deeply religious man and a man who really has God's concerns at the forefront of his mind. Um, why do I say that? Well, let's examine the evidence. Um, first of all, we know that he is uh, described by the Moabite king, Balak, as um, a person who, or you are, whoever you bless will be blessed, whoever you curse will be cursed. He has incredible uh, powers, this Bilam. But when Balak's people first come to him, um, he says to them, you know, wait here overnight. God says to Bilam during the night, Do not go with them. Do not curse the people because they are blessed. And Bilam immediately gets up in the morning and says, go home because God is not letting me go with you. He doesn't insinuate that they should come back. He says, God won't let me go. Balak won't take no for an answer. He in fact sends a higher pedigree delegation and they offer to honour him and they offer him all sorts of things. And before Bilam has even heard, he says to them, you can give me half of your house in silver and gold. I can't transgress the word of God. He says, you know what, stay overnight and I'll see if God says anything else to me. And um, it's at that point that God lets him go. On this particular parsha, um, the Ramban, Nachmanazi's comments, that uh, it seems like Bilam is a wholly commendable character. He says, All he wanted, all his honour was only that uh, he should be known as a conduit for God's uh, word. In fact, later on, when he goes and is led up the mountain by Balak, and each time Balak gets frustrated by the way he talks, and uh, he says to him, curse the people, and each time Bilam um, blesses them, the he, he responds and he says, you know, what did you do? I told him I wanted you to curse the people, you blessed them, and he says simply, Whatever God puts in my mouth, that's what I'll say. He says it repeatedly. He says it uh, um, here in Pasuk uh, Yudbet, in Perak Kaf Gimel, Pasuk Yudbet. He says it again uh, in Pasuk Chavav, And he says it again later on, where he says, uh, you know, what do, what do you want me to do? 
I can only say that which God says he says, I told you, God is controlling me. In other words, Bilam would seem to be the loyal, dedicated servant of God. And if this is true, we sort of wonder why it is that Bilam has this terrible reputation. Bilam is known as Bilam Harasha. All sorts of awful things uh, are said about him. How can it be that such a positive character receives such a a negative uh, press, such a negative coverage in the world of Chazal? So really, Bilam is a highly perplexing character. Of course, the, the, the side which is different to the Ramban is uh, taken by Rashi. And uh, before I even reach uh, Rashi, let me say that I think we, to really examine the evidence, if we're fair, we have to realize that all the things I've pointed out uh, in defense of the positive assessment of Bilam are that Bilam repeatedly, whenever he is asked to curse B'nai Israel, says, listen, I can only say that which God puts in my mouth, God controls me. However, there are two other scenes or two other situations in which Bilam comes over highly negatively. The first one is, of course, the scene in which uh, his donkey strays from the path. And there it says, The angel of God stands against him in the way to oppose him. And uh, as we know, this story repeats itself three three times. The, the angel, by the way, is standing with his sword unsheathed. Sort of violent image. And uh, the first time he simply goes off the path into the field. The second um, time he is... Um, in a sort of lane with walls on either side and he sort of presses or crushes Bilam's legs against the wall and the last time he simply stops in his tracks because he can't move either way and uh, Bilam gets furious and starts beating his animal furiously and it's then when God opens his eyes and he sees the, the, the angel. This notion of a of a Satan um, of an angel who comes um, against him with an unsheathed sword, with an outstretched sword, certainly a very threatening image. And if Bilam wasn't doing something wrong, then why would we have this scene? How does it serve the story? It clearly indicates that God is trying to thwart, God is trying to interfere with Bilam's mission, or at least to scare him somewhat. It is true that the Ramban, with his positive image of Bilam, says, you know, well, he gave people the wrong impression. He gave Balak the impression that he would really come and curse the nation when, in fact, he should have stressed that he will only say that which God puts in his mouth. I'm not sure whether that's a weak argument of the Ramban. Whichever way, the first scene, which gives a sort of negative tint to uh, Bilam's mission, is, of course, the scene with the angel, with the donkey, etc. But even worse than this, is uh, what we see way beyond this parsha um, in Parshas Pinchatz and even later on in Parshat's uh, Matot. Um, what follows this whole episode, and it's the last few lines of the parsha, is the dreadful sin of Baal Pa'or, 
where uh, Bnei Yisrael begin to consort with the daughters of Midian and uh, this sort of descends into not only a sexual companionship and sort of uh, the Israelite men consorting with these non-Jewish women but also as they call them to their gods and the people stray after the gods Balpa'or, the gods of Midian and it is only in Parshat Matot that we see the um, Bnei Israel take out their vengeance take out their revenge against this act of seduction by Midian and they go and wage war to destroy Midian uh, in that particular episode we see the five kings of Midian who are killed and along with the five kings of Midian you can check it up in Parak Lamed Aleph Pasuk Chet it says they killed Bilam ben Boor Bilam is around and when the women are brought back to the camp Moshe gets very upset about the presence of these women in the camp and he says and I quote he says this was all Bilam's doing that Bilam made the women go out to seduce the Israelite men and this caused a great plague the great seducer or the great architect of this act of Midianite seduction um, which brought Israel spiritually low that great architect was in fact none other than Bilam in other words in the final account Bilam comes over as an incredibly negative character whereas he failed to curse the people because God placed his positive his uh, his positive word in his mouth, his word of praise, Bilam thinks he has another route to attack and to undermine B'nai Israel, And that avenue is one of uh, bringing Israel into an arena of sexual promiscuity and also to idolatry. And Bilam is correct. God will punish the people for those sorts of actions. And so, whereas our initial assessment of the Psukim gave us a positive view of Bilam who is so responsive to God when we look at the story of the of the donkey of the angel on the one hand and the story of the women of Midian um, and the battle against them as given by Bamidbar Lam Aleph the original story is right at the end of Bamidbar uh, sorry at the beginning of Bamidbar the story of the seduction um, we see a more negative side to Bilam and in fact this is the perspective that is adopted by Rashi. Rashi squanders no opportunity to attack Bilam and in his typical Midrashic tinted side uh, style, in his typical Midrashic uh, tinted style, Rashi um, finds every nuance and every way of delving into Bilam's language in order to condemn him. Let me give a few examples. Um, when we have... Um, he tells the messengers who come to see him, the messengers of Balak, that they have to sleep overnight so that he can see what God tells him. And he says, says Rashi, God can only appear to Bilam at night. And that is the way of all prophets of the non-Jewish nations and he then gives a sort of uh, a negative assessment of this he says like a man who has to sneak off to his mistress in other words 
uh, Bilam is almost embarrassed about his relationship with God. He can only consort with God um, at night. And even this sense of a, a mistress indicates that he has a wife somewhere. That Bilam has other allegiances which are not God. He can visit God as his second uh, love late at night. But uh, his allegiances lie elsewhere. Here's another one. Um, where he says... God says to him, you can't go with them, don't curse the people because they are blessed. Rashi interprets every phrase in almost conversation form. God says, don't go with them. Bilam responds, okay, I won't go with them, but let me curse them from here. God responds, don't curse the people. Bilam responds and says, okay, if I can't curse them, let me at least bless them. And God responds, Bilam, I don't even need your blessing. They're already blessed and we're not interested in anything to do with them. And he says, as we say to the hornet, we don't want any, neither your sting nor your honey. In other words, you're so dangerous, let's keep away from you. When he tells them, he tells Balak's men, I can't go with you. And he simply says, God won't let me go. Rashi picks on the fact with his, the fact that he doesn't say God won't let me go, but God says he says God won't let me go with you. Indicative, according to Rashi, of I won't go with you, but if you send more important people, I'll go. And again, when they offer him would you like um, Balak's palace filled with silver and gold as your reward? Um, we see, says Rashi, that he is greedy. Um, in other words, Rashi has a phenomenally negative assessment of Bilam. Bilam uh, puts God second. Bilam will do anything in order to find his way in to do this mission. He will even bless the people. And God says, I don't even need your blessing. Bilam is the sort of person who is seeking Kavod, he is seeking honor, he is seeking wealth and money. And um, Bilam comes out truly as Bilam Harasha in the world of Rashi. I have to say that uh, the truth seems to lie somewhere in between. Because, of course, as I mentioned before, the Ramban's assessment of Bilam as a wholesome character, as a uh, good character, even though I should say that the Ramban doesn't see him as a prophet, he says he's a he's not really a fully fledged prophet. But um, the Ramban's positive assessment, at least at the beginning of the parsha of Bilam, seems to be contested by the scene with the donkey, and also by the story of Balpaar, the seduction at Midian. On the other hand, Rashi can't be the whole picture because whereas Rashi sees Bilam as highly negative, even in the first scene. The pshat of that scene is not negative at all. And Rashi will have to explain why he's constantly loyal to God, why he's unable to utter anything which God doesn't put into his mouth, why he seems to be so dedicated to the word of God. And therefore, how are we meant to assess Bilam? Where is the assessment going? What should I do with this sort of complex and composite image of this strange prophet? Let me add also, according to Rashi, um, of course we're dealing with somebody who seems to have an ability to communicate with God. 
He seems to be a prophet. Isn't a prophet meant to be a man of God? Isn't he meant to be somebody who is holy or powerful? Rashi addresses this and he says, and if you say, Why did God rest his presence on a Gentile who was evil? And he says, this is actually um, God's doing. Why? That the nations shouldn't come to God and say, and complain and say, Oh God, if you would have given us prophets, just like you gave Israel, we would have done tshuva, we would have returned to the correct way. Why didn't you give us prophets? So he says, Look, God did give them prophets, and they broke through the barriers of the world, and he probably means the barriers of uh, sexual promiscuity. At the beginning, Am Yisrael were sexually restrained. And this um, prophet seduced the Midianites in order to persuade them to prostitute themselves. In other words, you see how dangerous and pernicious Bilam was. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled. On the one hand, uh, we turn around and say... Um, the nations can turn around and say, why didn't you give us Nevi'im? But the nations can also turn around and say, if you give us Nevi'im like this, what's the point? So I'd like to try and give some sort of shape to Bilam uh, by drawing on the Mishnah in Avot, which contrasts Bilam with Avraham Avinu. Uh, you might be familiar with this Mishnah. Uh, Avot is difficult to uh, exactly pin down the precise Mishnayot, but you'll find the Mishnah in Perak Hay. In my version, it's Mishnayot Tet, but you might find it a different uh, Mishnah, because there are different versions of how to break down the Mishnayot. But uh, the Mishnah in Perak Hay, Mishnayot Tet, says, Kol halalu Three qualities exemplify the students of Avraham Avinu and three opposite characteristics exemplify the disciples of the evil Bilam what are these three great things that Avraham had Ayin Tova a positive eye or a good eye a generous eye Ruach Nemucha Nefesh Fala a low spirit and a low soul. And some of these relate to very specific things. That is Talmidav Shel Avram Avinu. But Ayn Ra'ah, Ruach Kvohav, Nefesh Ruchava, Mi Talmidav Shel Bilam Arasha. What are these? Ayn Ra'ah means a positive view on the world, to see everything positively. Ruach Kvohav means haughtiness, pride. And Nefesh Ruchava means greed. Says the Mishnah, Ma Bain Talmidav Shel Avram Avinu, Talmidav Shel Bilam Arasha. What is the difference between these two groups? Avraham Avinu's students, his disciples, enjoy this world and the next. And he brings a proof text. They inherit Gehinom, they are destroyed. Quite a dichotomy. Where, where does the Mishnah start comparing Avraham Avinu to Bilam Harasha? 
why are this why is this comparison so why is this the immediate pair the immediate twin couldn't we have contrasted maybe Bilam with his contemporary with Moshe Rabbeinu or maybe we should compare Bilam to other um, other figures in Tanakh positive or negative I don't know but maybe we could compare him to Lavan or to somebody else what is the connection between Bilam and Avraham Avinu well remarkably when we look at the evidence we find a great number of connections I think probably this, one of the strongest ones is uh, where Avram comes from and where Avram comes from is exactly the same place as Bilam. The source text for this can be found in Tvarim. Um, let's find the place. Tvarim chapter 23 and uh, there it says um it's talking about uh, the Moavim, the, the, the kingdom of Moav, uh, who were inhospitable to Bnei Israel and therefore cannot convert. And then he says, "Va'asher sachar alechet Bilam ben Baor," and they hired uh, Bilam, the son of Baor, mipator Aram Naharaim lekalalecha. This is quite fascinating. We now learn that Bilam emerges from Aram Naharayim. And of course, Aram Naharayim is the place of Avraham's birth. Aram Naharayim, um, the area of Mesopotamia between the two rivers, is is the arena in which Avraham grew up. But that's not the only parallel. If you recall, Balak said, I know that whoever you bless will be blessed, and whoever you curse will be cursed. Well, if you recall, this is precisely the blessing which is given to Avram Avinu at the beginning of Parsha Lecha. God tells him to leave his land, to leave his birthplace, and then he says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. In other words, um, we have two points of contact. On the one hand, they come from the same place. They seem to have the same God-given quality of blessings and curses in particular. But I don't think it stops there at all. Um, the Midrash picks up on the fact that uh, Avraham and Bilam both saddle their own donkeys. Um, it's the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Daf Kufhei, which says, Bilam got up in the morning and saddled his ass. And uh, it says, says Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, Ahavam May Avraham, as we see, Vayashkeim Avraham Baboker, Sinam Mavatelet Shurashel Gdulam Bilam. In other words, usually it was beneath the dignity of both Bilam and Avraham to saddle their own donkey. They had many servants and they had several assistants, and uh, both of them being mature adults, this was beneath their dignity. However, Avraham, when he was told about the Akedah, immediately was so eager to do God's word that he saddled his own donkey. Bilam, on the other hand, why did he saddle his own donkey? Um, the phrase is Sinabavatelet Shurashel Gdula, that was his innate hatred of the Jewish people. He had something about the Jewish people which, which irked him, which generated hatred, and therefore he was willing to give himself that indignity. He was so eager to curse the people. But uh, again, we have a third point of contact. Here are two people who each um, go on a journey from Aram Naharaim to Eretz Yisrael. 
They each have the power of blessings and curses, and they each saddle their own donkey to go travelling in order to go up a mountain. And at that mountain, what is meant to happen is something exceptionally negative. However, the curse turns to a blessing. The curse turns to a blessing for Bilam. The curse turns to a blessing for Avraham, when instead of his son um, being sacrificed, he ends up with a, a promise and a blessing of the future, the numerous number of the future of B'nai Israel, just like the same way that Bilam, um, that Bilam blesses the people. So we have several points of contact. I have to say that this um, parallel is so powerful that it doesn't only work as a mode of comparing Bilam to Avraham, but in fact, uh, certain aspects of this story seems to have been tr- seem to have been transposed from. Bilam back to Avraham. Let me try and uh, relate to what I'm saying. There is a very, very famous midrash about Avraham Avinu. So when Avraham Avinu was on the way to the Akedah, when he was going to sacrifice his son in this major act, major religious act, the Satan came to try and stop him from making it to Mount Moriah to Har HaMoriah. And first uh, the Satan came along in the guise of a, of a stream and it was very, very low, and Avram still went in the water, and then he made it go higher, until it went all the way up to Avram's head. And at the last point, he turns around to God and says, God, you commanded me to do this. You can't stop me from fulfilling your word. And suddenly the river miraculously disappeared. And one wonders where this comes from. In fact, this Midrash, according to certain authorities, becomes the source of why people go and do Tashlich on... On, on Rosh Hashanah, because it reminds us of the story of the Akedah, which we read on Rosh Hashanah, and the water um, of the Satan, and the way that Avram expressed his determination to fulfill God's will against the Satan's other other uh, advice. But again, where where does this Midrash draw itself from? Because there's nothing in the Akedah story which indicates the presence of a Satan. Well, I think it's pretty clear that if we see Avraham is uh, a, a, a parallel to Bilam. Then when Bilam is going to do this, this mission which God has sent him on, and he is uh, intercepted by the angel who stops him, the angel here is called a Satan, the Satan law, and he stops him once, twice, and three times um, by transposing this scene back to Avraham, by creating an absolute parallel. Suddenly we see the story of the Satan put into the Avraham story and I think that's exactly where the Midrash manages to get it from what we've the point that we've come to here uh, we originally presented a sense of confusion about Avraham uh, about Bilam sorry but we've come to a point where we've drawn a sort of comparison between these two people and what this leads me to say is that possibly um, the Tanakh is depicting Bilam in almost the same uh, colour or should I say it differently Bilam has the same potential as Avraham. However, we will see that they act in very, very, very different ways. And one of the primary ways that I can think of is their relationship to money. Uh, It is true that Bilam keeps on saying, even if you give me your house full of gold, I can't say anything more than uh, what God puts in my mouth. But uh, considering the fact that uh, this is the people who God has chosen, and that Balak is asking him to curse the Jewish people who, who God has taken out of Egypt, one would imagine that B- 
Bilam's refusal would be a little more vociferous. And if I do make the comparison with Avraham Avinu, we probably remember the famous scene when Avraham is confronted by a um, by a evil king who he does not want to associate, who offers him also money. In fact, he also offers him half. He says, it is the king of Sodom, and the king of Sodom says, why don't you take, give me the people, and you will take all of the material wealth. And Avram says to the king of Sodom, Harimoti adil Hashem el-Alyon I don't want to take anything from you, not even a shoelace. I never want to be beholden to you. You are an evil man, and I don't want you to say, I made Avraham rich. We might expect Bilam to act in a similar way. How can it be that Bilam would be willing to associate with the evil Balak, Balak who wants to destroy the people who God has taken out of Egypt? I mean, these are um, Bilam's own words when he, uh, obviously through the prism of of prophecy, but um, when eventually he does bless the people, he talks about the way that God is hovering over this nation, having taken them out of Egypt. What is that? I will I will simply quote where he says the following. He says, first of all, Lohi bitaven biyakov am al Israel. God never saw any iniquity in Jacob. He never saw any evil in Israel. Hashem elokavimo utruat melechbo el motziyam mitzrayim. God took them out of Egypt. Katoafot reimlo with thunder and lightning and circumstance. Um, and the fact that uh, God is actively guiding the people. Um, how can Bilam, a prophet of God, really come along and thwart God's plan, try and uh, frustrate God's designs? It certainly seems uh, strange. And the only possibility that we can explain it is it is a desire for material wealth, as the Mishnah mentions, that all the time the phrase used is, how can I honor you? Um... Allah keeps on saying, How can I honor you? Oh, I don't want to give you money. At the end, when he fails the test, he says to him, when he fails to curse the people, he said, There is so much honor being offered to Bilam, so much wealth, that we wonder whether that possibly was the reason why he went on this mission. Of course, if we add to this, the scene in which Bilam is so interested in probably covering up his failure. After all, Bilam has just uh, lost his reputation. He got his uh, primetime TV slot. He got his most uh, prestigious client. And at the moment where he should have been able to curse, he could only utter a blessing. Bilam has sort of ruined his reputation. It would appear that once his reputation is ruined, and once he is unable to sell himself anymore, as an Avi, because his power of blessing and cursing has uh, not exactly worked on his highest profile client, um, he now turns his hand to other things. And possibly this failure turns into genuine hatred of B'nai Israel, and he seeks some other way to bring them down, and that's where the seduction of, 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 of Israel by the daughters of Midian happens. This doesn't sound like a very principled Bilam. Bilam um, is interested in honor, he's interested in wealth, and when he's, um, when he's mocked and when he's uh, 
embarrassed and shamed by the king, he doesn't turn to God and say, you know, God, how can you help me? Um, if you recall, it was Avraham when he was faced with frustration in the case of Brit bin Abitarim, that he appealed to God and says, Bama How am I going to know I'm going to inherit the land? How am I going to know this? How am I going to know that? And God reassured him. Bilam does not do this. Bilam makes a decision to bring down Bnei Israel by hook or by crook. He seeks an underhand uh, strategy of sending girls out to seduce the men of Israel as he knows that this is the morality of Israel is the key to their success. I think what I'd like to say then is that Bilam is not bad, he's not good. Um, Bilam is a prophet. And we might think that prophecy means, being a prophet means, that you are a tzaddik, and that is far from the case. It's almost as if prophecy is simply a tool. But uh, the prophet still has within his jurisdiction, within the um, free choice of the prophet, is to decide what life decisions he made. Or put it differently, how do you use your prophecy? Do you use your prophecy to bless or to curse? Do you use your prophecy for good or for bad? Um, Bilam decided to use his prophecy in a self-serving manner um, to further his own personal career. And uh, here we see how he makes the, the wrong choices. And this is exactly what Rashi says, that the disciples of Bilam um, it's not that they are evil or promiscuous. What are, what are they? The, again, the phrase uses that they're got ayin ra'ah. They look negatively on the environment around themselves. But they are ra'ah gvohah v'nefesh ra'ah. They seek, uh, they're greedy. In other words, they seek to be uh, comfortable and not to go through tribulations. And they're ra'ah gvohah, they're proud. And it is these midot which made uh, Bilam take all the wrong choices. Avraham is self-effacing. Avraham is ruach nemukha, nefesh falah. He's not interested in the possessions of others. He's interested in honouring other people rather than having other people honour him. And the, the other midah is his ayin tovah. Avraham's ability to look kindly on the world, to look positively around him, they both have the same spiritual powers. They both have the power of nevuah. But it is not the spiritual powers or the prophecy which makes the man, but rather the qualities of spirit, the midot tovot. The midot tovot will guide the prophecy either to a positive place, in the case of Abraham, or to a negative um, place, in the case of Bilam. And it could well be that Bilam's biography is exactly that, that he started off with all the potential, but through the giving in to his, uh, his worst sides of him, uh, to his baser sides, uh, Bilam sent himself, along with that powerful prophetic impulse, in the in the negative direction. Thank you very much. Wishing everybody Shabbat Shalom.